This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. We're now... In the fourth month of the conflict in Ukraine, it is ugly beyond belief. We haven't seen anything like it for a very long time, for decades. Even the uh, Bosnia war, as it was, didn't show us pictures of savagery and barbarism such as we have seen. And four months almost in, Europe uh, has yet to find, I think, a collective response, a cohesive response. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen was in Ukraine at the weekend. And, of course, Ukraine is not a new subject. In 2014, uh, the Russians went into the Donbass. And what to do about Ukraine and how, what to do about Russia in particular is something that Germans are reflecting on. And we're joined now by John Kampfner, John was a bureau chief uh, for the Daily Telegraph in Moscow at the time of the collapse uh, of the Soviet Union. He was later chief political correspondent with uh, the Financial Times. He's an author as well, and his latest book is called Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country. John, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the stand, as always. As you will know, Angela Merkel came out last week and gave her first interview since she retired, and she was questioned about her policy of what we uh, would call an English change through trade and how the gas pipeline project made Germany dependent on Putin and Putin's Russia. How is that conversation going in, in Germany at the moment? Because I notice Olaf Scholz is also being criticized for hesitancy in terms of support for Ukraine financially and militarily. Hi there, Eamon. Yeah, I think if you had to encapsulate it in one word, you would say that things are fraught. Um, Germans are feeling incredibly ill at ease, both about the war itself, with this what I call slightly yes. childish default towards pacifism and war is terrible must be avoided at all costs to which the answer is no that is wrong it should not be avoided at all costs it should be the sad um uh, action
option of last resort and passive pacifism is not an end in itself. That's the, the first default. And then there's this whole question of Germany feeling beleaguered, feeling that it's being trashed across Europe and in the United States and elsewhere, to which the response is, well, to a degree, that's classic German bashing, but to a degree, it is justified. I mean, Germany has done an incredible job uh, supporting Ukraine economically. It will be the absolute key when Ukraine, uh, uh, when Ukraine's application to join the European Union is taken forward. Um, it is helping on other fronts, but on the pure military side of things, Germany has been almost defiantly asleep at the wheel. And in Olaf Scholz, they have a person who takes a long time to come to a decision. It might be a rational decision, but he's terrible at communicating his decisions. And then he gets grumpy with it all. So that's the situation now. And as you said in your introduction, Eamon, then you have this long shadow cast over Berlin uh, by Angela Merkel and a lot of people reassessing their views of her. I think there's been a classically overdone lurch from one extreme to another, from hero yes. to zero. She was never the extraordinary hero who had done nothing wrong. We could go through her record. And and when she left office in December, the issue wasn't, oh, how much of a kicking is she going to endure? It was, oh, my God, how are we going to survive without her? Um, and now it's open season against her. So it was interesting to see her response um, in the theatre, in the Berlin Ensemble, um, to being pressed, I mean, in, in slightly German style, quite politely, but being pressed on her record with regard to Russia, Ukraine, gas, military intervention, or the lack of it. Yes, and she pointed out in her defence, and it's undeniably true, that uh, Ukraine in 2008, but subsequently in 2014, when Putin went into the Donbass and south, uh, the eastern Ukraine, that Ukraine was a deeply divided country, she said. She said it had a shaky democracy, and she argued that it was ruled by oligarchs. And I, looking back, I remember at the time, it was very shaky. It was ruled by some uh, odd bods, and it was by no means the... Zelensky model, or at least the rhetoric that he offers of a free democratic society worthy of being in the European Union or reliable enough. Well, there's two separate things there. I mean, that analysis isn't entirely correct. And Ukrainian friends of mine would always talk to me slightly sort of resignedly saying, oh, you know, my son or daughter's got to go to the hospital. I need to get some cash out, you know, put some cash in the brown envelope. And, you know, that's yes. the way to get yourself treated. That was an accepted factor. And yes, it had changed, but it hasn't actually changed as much. What this war has done is rally and unite the people behind a brilliant war leader yes. in Zelensky. But it is also papering over the cracks, papering over the cracks of continued oligarch power, of political divisions, of perpetual Russian infiltration, of... Dem democracy being played out, but in a somewhat chaotic way. So Merkel's analysis is correct, and it, it was 
the response to 2014, there was a thing called the Normandy format of France and Germany yes. um, trying to negotiate between Ukraine and Russia. Nobody particularly criticized that at the time. The Brits were nowhere to be seen, apart from sucking up to the Russians and laundering their reputations in, in London. <laughs> um, they were certainly not fighting any good fight for tougher no. sanctions at the time, nor was anybody else. So with hindsight, one could always say, yeah, more should have been done in 2014, but it didn't feel like that at the time. However, this analysis of um, 2014 is necessary, but it is also, in my view, insufficient to justify Germany's inaction in 2021 and 2022. Um, by that point, it was abundantly clear through American intelligence, yes. which the Germans had been shown. And I talked to senior German officials only a week or two or three before the war, who basically said, ah, American intelligence, yeah, we've seen it, but remember Iraq. Um, you know, they're yes. um, over-egging the pudding. And yes, it's dangerous, but if Putin does something, it's not going to be too much. And, you know, we can all sort of live with it with a few more sanctions and that sort of thing. So the Germans were in denial. Um, they had also presided over a diminution of their armed forces and military spending to the point where not only could they not do much for other people, but they couldn't actually do very much for themselves. So this has been an extraordinary wake-up um, for Germany. And Merkel, as I say, it's neither, it's neither hero nor villain. I don't criticize her approach to Putin. She was never, uh, people say, oh, she came from East Germany, and therefore I've even heard this sort of thing. Maybe she yes. was a sort of Russian plant and all this sort of yeah. you know, nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, she came from East Germany. Well, she actually originally came from Hamburg, but her parents moved to East Germany. She was brought up in East Germany. It's not her fault that she wasn't. Actually, I think she read Putin pretty well, and she made it pretty clear in her meetings with Putin that she didn't think much of him, and she wasn't going to uh, bulk uh, to him and do his bidding. But the absolute um, negative point towards her that she can't quite properly answer is why on earth she made Germany and other Western European countries so dependent on Russia when it came to gas uh, with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that she forced through against some very good advice, not only from abroad, but from her own country. And this idea that somehow it was so naive, this idea that it's one thing to deal with adversaries and difficult countries as you find them. You know, we, we deal with China every day. We deal yes. with all kinds of countries and you just have to get on with them and you have to negotiate hard, come to economic deals where you can, etc. It's another thing, both to make yourself dependent on that country and also to think somehow oh, through that dependency, somehow they're going to become more like us. Yes, and the Nord Stream 2 uh, gas pipeline, it, it binds Germany to Russia. It makes them wholly dependent for energy, and we're seeing the consequences of that now. And also the consequences, and I'd be fascinated by your answer to this, this idea of change through trade. Uh, I can't really get my head around the German version. Well, I have a go. Vandal durch Handel. Very good. 
<laughs> somewhere close. But it, I mean, that is a policy that suggests that there was a degree of trust and that nobody involved in that change through trade project really understood how bad Putin was. Yeah, but it what, should be told. What we his were, ambitions were. But we were all doing it, Eamon. I mean, yes, I, 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 yeah, collectively, the whole world was. I yeah. mean, they were in the G8. Yeah. It was the G8, it's the G7 now. No, no, but... it was G7, then it became G8, then it became G7 again. Yeah. Um, now, again, you can, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing to, to take Putin into the G8. It was a sort of almost test run. So how can you be? Just what sort of country do you want to be? Do you want to be defiantly yes. um, nationalistic and, and um, playing to all the old um, stereotypes sadly often true about Russia in its history or do you want to really be part of the global community it was right to give him that chance when yes. he came into power we the Brits through George Osborne we were rolling out the red carpet for the Chinese yes. until only recently almost and, and being quite prepared to let them build nuclear power stations for goodness sake I mean yes. you know the uh, the degree of um you know, we Brits love to be smug and wise after the event and all saying all the problems are a result of Johnny Foreigner. You know, but, you know, we did more to ingratiate ourselves with Russia and China than pretty much any country I can think of. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, John, a European response. Um, I mean, Putin's 
ploy or gam- gamble was that the West was weak and divided, in- and that included Europe. Initially, the West responded well. Biden gave a lead, um, the British gave a lead, and the West proved to be made of sterner stuff than uh, Putin imagined. But now, four months in, and we don't know how long this is going to last, but we do know what we are witnessing are horrendous crimes of ethnic cleansing, really, and also the destruction of Mariupol and the attempted destruction now of Severo Donetsk, which will make it uninhabitable. Mm. We're dealing here with something evil, and it doesn't seem that Europe has a collective response. For example, Zelensky complained last week about President Macron having one-on-one conversations with Putin still and trying to do a deal without consulting Zelensky. So yeah. there seems to be a degree of chaos there. Confusion, I would say, more than, more than yeah. chaos. Um, Macron, Schultz, and the Italian Premier, Mario Draghi, Yes. Um, are, according to reports, planning to go to Kiev uh, in the period in the run-up to the G7 summit at the end of this month. Taking Germany has taken over from the UK uh, as uh, president of, of the G7. If that happens, it will be interesting. It will be the first time that Macron or Scholz um, have been to Kiev in this period, um, and their absence has been strongly noted. It was... If you remember the German president, the sort of titular president, yes. Frank Walter Steinmeier, uh, a social democrat who had been foreign minister before, he was basically told he can't come by the Ukrainians because he was seen as having had a history of being too, too close to the Russians. And the Germans took that, I think, in a somewhat petulant way. And they took that badly instead of facing up to uh, what may be quite legitimate criticism. But they are going to go there. I mean, the curiosity is this, that whenever, I mean, we're in a sort of position of both stalemate, but also gradual attritional um, ground being won by the Russians. Yes. This is, I mean, I am not a military expert, but according to people I read and talk to, this is going to go on for some time. And many, many months throughout the end of this year into next year, the real danger for you, well, there are two main dangers for Ukraine. One is that they're running out of kit and munitions and uh, exhausted soldiers, as are the Russians, but the Russians have a bigger pool um, from which to, and they haven't started the um, next round of conscription in Russia and Ukraine has general mobilization. So that's going to get harder on the pure military front. But on the political front, um, as we all know across Europe, um, we are looking at rampant inflation, massively increasing energy prices, cost of living crisis elsewhere in some countries such as the UK, worse than others, but consistent everywhere. Populations whose attention span and media whose attention span diminishes over time and already in the first several weeks of the war ukraine was not just the main story but it was the first sort of five main stories in any bulletin it isn't like that now it has just become a war it's not quite sort of receded into 
the distance in the way that conflicts such as in Yemen or Syria um, have, or even the, the terrible um, uh, punitive activities of the Taliban in Afghanistan barely get a, a look in nowadays. Yes. Ukraine, because it's Europe and because it's newer, is still fresh in our minds, but it's not as fresh. And there will be a fatigue, both a physical military fatigue and a political fatigue. And that's the real um, issue for Zelensky. Um, to what degree or will he feel that he's coming under pressure, not just from outsiders, I think he can deal with that, but almost from his own population, at some point to come to some sort of stalemate, if not a fully blown peace with Russia, which would involve the ceding of territory, which by all moral standards would be an absolute abomination. Yes, and I mean, Joe Biden has said, and others too, that Putin must not be allowed to win this conflict. Yeah, now then you have the question of what does win mean? Um, well, keep, keep what he is attempting now to annex. I mean, not just the Crimea, the Donbass, but the the stuff he's after now, the whole of southeastern yeah. Ukraine. I mean, you could look at it from two ends of the spectrum. There was the hyper-optimistic um, utterances of the UK's bombastic Foreign Minister, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, yeah. who was saying that we will not rest until... Russia has been driven out of all the territories yes. that it annexed in 2014, which is not just those parts of Don of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions, but also the whole of Crimea, um, which it, it annexed um, in that period. So that's the most sort of uh, maximalist option. Then you have being driven out of those areas that it has taken since February the 24th. Then you have uh, driven out of Donbass only. You know, uh, originally we were worrying that Russia was going to seize Kiev and was going to topple yes. Zelensky and was basically going to um, introduce a puppet state. I think where we're ending up with um, is uh, an enlarged uh, annexation, including a corridor um, of eastern Ukraine to um, Crimea, which will give Russia considerable control um, over the Black Sea, um, but not further than that. Now that's uh, you know that's a pretty bad result for Ukraine, but it's not the worst result for Ukraine that people were thinking in February twenty four that Putin would walk in and within days, yes, um, he would have some puppet regime in in Kiev. That hasn't happened. I think it's extremely unlikely. It will happen. But this idea, sadly, I mean, I'd be the first to jump up and down and celebrate that if Putin was were toppled and that um, Russia uh, became a more integrated, global, I won't say Western, because that comes with uh, sort of cultural uh, um, sort of arrogance to it, but a sort of better, kinder, more decent country. I think the chances of that happening are, in my lifetime, absolutely zero. How much will it change the European Union? How much does it need to change the European Union? In our own country here, the discussion about neutrality has sort of rumbled on for decades, really. It's now 
uh, much higher in the on the agenda. But sixty six percent of Irish people in last week's poll said they prefer to stay neutral. Does Europe in a new world where China and Russia are major threats, uh, where Donald Trump may well be the next president of the United States, does Europe need to think very deeply about its own means of defending itself and its values? Yes. Um, and, and wouldn't Germany and France be the leading nations, and shouldn't they be, you know, the leading nations in that process? Yeah, I mean, the answer to both questions is yes. Um, that in some ways, Macron has been trying to address this with his strategy of strategic autonomy, as he called it, going back several years now. Now, that was interesting, but it was also misplaced. It was based on several assumptions that have turned out not to be the case. One was uh, his phrase that NATO was brain dead um, uh, and that uh, it had no sort of significant future function. I mean, that was based on an assumption about Trump Mark I um, yes. and that America, you know, Trump was Putin's best friend. America wouldn't come to the aid of Europe even if Putin invaded um, uh, a NATO country, and therefore Europe has to do something uh, um, else. But alongside it was also a sort of assumption that um, Europe, it wasn't quite that Europe needed to be equidistant between China and America, um, but it wasn't that far away from that idea of it needed to be the third pole. What's happened since, and it's one of the few good things that's happened, and it'll be interesting to see how durable that um uh, continues to be is the rebuilding of transatlantic relations. Yes. Um, now, we'll, we'll it seems talk- highly unlikely, John, in view of domestic politics in the United States and the way uh, it is polarizing and the fact that isolationism is really back on the agenda. Well, no, I don't agree, Eamon. Um, the last few months. Uh, behind the scenes and in front of, uh, on stage, Biden and the Europeans have really come together. Yes. Now, with one big exception, that being Hungary. Uh, well, it's not a big exception. It's a medium-sized, uh, annoying, really irritating exception. But whether it's the Poles who were causing so much trouble yes. in the European Union, the Czechs, the Slo- Slovaks, um, other Central Europeans who were flirting with uh, uh, sort of Slav- Slavic-style nationalism, whether it was the far right in France or Spain or Italy or whatever. The picture looks a little bit different now. And when you say now, you don't know how long that's going to be. But for all the criticisms of Germany, for all the criticisms of France, for all the criticisms of the UK, and we haven't even begun to talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol, and we'll talk about that another time, but the UK playing with fire when it comes to uh, relations within Europe. Yes. Um, the Americans have quietly been getting on with um, repairing relations with um, Europe and its big powers um, and bringing greater cohesion um, to them. Now, this is all predicated, of course, on no return of Donald Trump or anybody like him. Um, Now, we've still got two years and a bit, uh, two and a half years for that to run, and that's a very long time. 
um, all kinds, you know, all kinds of assumptions being made of Trump. Some saying, "Oh, if he wants it, he'll have it. He doesn't even, you know, need to, you know, do much campaigning." And others saying he's completely spent, and America has moved on from him, even if they haven't moved on completely from his politics or whatever. Then you have the real dangerous situation in which he stands, and he narrowly loses, and he claims again that he's been robbed, and uh, there will be more. Uh, dangerous instability. But that's for the future. At the moment, America and Europe, as I say, if it's one of the few silver linings in all of this, they yes. are working much harder together now in terms of intelligence gathering, military cohesion. Europe is spending more on military. And this is not just significant with regard to Russia and Ukraine. It's significant with regard to the Asia-Pacific tilt and relations with China too. Okay, John, it's a pleasure always talking to you. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Stand today. That's John Kampfner. We're grateful to John, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.